This is My Travel Reviews with Gary Bembridge. This week, it's coming to you from Hong Kong. My Travel Reviews, the podcast of first-hand travel experience by and for people with a passion for travel. Yes, hello and welcome to My Travel Reviews. This is Gary Bembridge here. And as I mentioned at the beginning, I am in Hong Kong. And I'm actually recording this podcast on the 15th of September 2005, which is the week that Hong Kong Disneyland opened. It actually opened on the Monday of this week. That's the 12th of September. Although I wasn't here specifically for the opening of Disneyland, I will talk a little about it and the kind of reaction that it got. Also what I'm going to do is talk a little bit about Cathay Pacific and what I thought of that because that's how I got here. I'm going to talk a little bit about the Sheraton Hotel in Kuala Loon, which is where I'm staying and of course not surprisingly I'm also going to be talking about Hong Kong. You'll be able to find more about the things I talk about, links, that kind of thing on the blog that goes with this podcast and that is at mytravelreviews.blogspot.com but let me kick off first of all with Disneyland Hong Kong Disneyland Hong Kong opened on Monday the 12th of September and it's interesting because the distinct impression you get in the press that press overall wasn't that excited about Disneyland coming to Hong Kong. It took over six years, apparently it was very controversial, partly because of the amount that the Hong Kong government funded it. It's a 126 hectare theme park. It cost $27 billion to build, but it is projected to generate a lot of money for the local economy. But the big controversy was over just how much money the government put in. Now, it's located next to the airport. Now, those of you who know Hong Kong or have heard about Hong Kong, a couple of years ago they opened an airport which is a little bit out of town and they had a huge landfill project and an amazingly modern, open, beautiful-looking airport built out there before the the planes almost used to land in, in the city. But it was very controversial. Uh, this new Disneyland but it's it's right next to the airport and it's actually the smallest Disneyland of all the Disneylands that exist it's also only the third Disneyland that's built outside of the US one of course being in Tokyo and one of course being in Paris a lot of the controversy is also around just how small it is and a lot of the pre-visitors that went to it complained or observed should I say probably more than complained about the size of it it's got Four themed areas, Adventureland, Tomorrowland, Fantasyland, and Main Street USA, which is pretty much what all of them have, but it has much less rides than everything else. The government, as I mentioned, had put in $23 billion into the park, and they see it really as a strategic investment. Hong Kong, after all, is incredibly well known uh, as a tourist centre, it's incredibly well known for shopping. It used to be very well known, I guess, as a financial centre, but after... Uh, the transfer from Britain to China. It appears that a lot of that might have moved to places like Singapore. So clearly they were looking for a major t- 
tourist attraction. And of course, what Disney is very excited about is that it also opens up potentials for uh, building their presence in China overall. So it's opened, and you'd kind of think from the stuff you saw in the press that it was a bit of a fiasco. They talk about just how hot it was on the day, the pollution was really bad, and they don't really talk in glowing terms about it. They, they mostly seem to talk just about how hot it was, uncomfortable it was, how expensive things were, etc., etc., etc. However, uh, if you look more at what the tourists seem to think about it, they seem to have really liked it. It's very closely modelled, apparently, on the original Disneyland concept, but it has built in a large amount of kind of local customs and local things to adapt it to uh, Hong Kong. So they have involved uh, Feng Shui, for example, experts in terms of the opening date. There's no green hats on sale in any of the park shops, even though Goofy's hat is green, because green hats, uh, or green is unlucky in Chinese culture. The Hong Kong Disneyland Hotel has no fourth floor, for example, because four sounds like the Cantonese word for death. There's also a lot of water and fish symbols, apparently, because in Chinese culture, water is synonymous with prosperity and wealth, and fish mean abundance. So they have modernized it, thought about the cultural things, and desperately want to make it work. So clearly that will be a major tourist attraction. If you are thinking of coming to Hong Kong, that is clearly that's going to be something on your agenda. But small is beautiful, and that is the claim from Disney executives who were trying to fend off criticism that it is the smallest park. And I'll leave you with one last comment from Wing Chow, who's the executive vice president of Walt Disney, Imagering, 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 what a title. Anyway, he said, there is no uninteresting place in Hong Kong Disneyland. So you judge for yourself if you come to Hong Kong. Now, let me tell you a little bit about where I'm staying. This time in my trip to Hong Kong, I'm here for business for the week, and I'm actually staying on the Kowloon side of Hong Kong. Hong Kong city itself is in two sides, really. You have the Kowloon side, which is spelled K-O-W-L-O-O-N, and then you have Hong Kong Island side. Now, the Kowloon side is actually a little bit closer to the airport. It's about 36 kilometers door-to-door. And on the Kowloon side, it's probably got, I would say, the best views of all. Because what you do is you actually look across the harbour, the Victoria Harbour, to all those kind of famous Hong Kong skyline, the, the tall blue glass scra- skyscrapers. So you actually get an incredible view. I'm staying at the Sheraton Hong Kong Hotel and Towers. Now, we have a great rate here because I'm actually here for a, for a conference. But overall, it's it's a pretty good rate. Outside, the hotel looks a little bit shabby, to be honest. But inside, it's clearly recently been refurbished, and it's very nice. The bedrooms are great. They're a good size, comfortable Sheraton beds. And they have, in terms of brightening up the room, put a glass panel between the room and the bathroom. So your sink, when you shave or whatever, you look through some clear glass out of the room across to the beautiful view in Hong Kong Island. The rooms are relatively small but very trendy, very modern done. Now what I have done is I've made a small video clip of the room which I will put a link into the blog so you can have a look at that. And in fact every hotel room I stay in I do that so that will be up there. 
The Sheraton Hotel itself, it's pretty big. On the right at the top, it has a very nice swimming pool, which is great because you have that stunning view across to the hilly areas and the skyscrapers. Nice sized gym, not a massive gym. Gets a little bit packed, but good enough. It has five restaurants, and I didn't eat in all of them, but the one at the very top, which is the, the, the skyline, is huge. It's the whole length of the building. It's got a bar, it's got a restaurant. The food is pretty good there, but the views at night are just magical. It really, really is magical. They then have a very nice Japanese restaurant, which has a sushi bar or a sit-down area, and that's strongly recommended, although it is very expensive, but the sushi is very good. You can actually go more locally, uh, just download a block or two and it's much cheaper but the one here is very very nice they have a Chinese restaurant as well which is which is pretty good um, again relatively expensive and probably far too much food so that's the Sheraton Hong Kong Hotel and Towers now the one advice I would give you if you do get to stay here is make sure that you ask for a room as high as possible and make sure that you stress that you want a harbour view because there are rooms which look it across onto the road and there are some that look at the back so make sure that you do stress and ask for the view because to be right down here at the end and no view would just be crazy now where this hotel is also great because just across the road you have the hong kong museum of art which is not huge but it has a pretty good uh, collection in there it also has the hong kong space museum which i was very excited about being quite into space and stuff however it's really an imax theater and it was showing an IMAX stuff about sharks. So personally, I didn't really see the connection between that and space, but I didn't go in and, exp and have a look because I decided I wanted to see an IMAX thing on sharks. The website for the Hong Kong Museum of Art and the website for the Hong Kong Space Museum is very good, so you can also find out about that. But also within walking distance, you then have the taxis, the water taxis that zoom you across to the other side which is very handy. And also there's a nice walkway right along the side there where you can take some great photographs and at night it's very packed. It's called the walkway of the stars. Very, very nice. What is there to do in Hong Kong? Well, not a lot really, other than shop. That's pretty much the best thing to do in Hong Kong is shop. Now, people that I spoke to who live in Hong Kong and in other places say that Hong Kong has the best selection of shops and the best prices. Although looking around, I'm not 100% sure about the prices, and I guess it partly depends on exchange rates. But shopping is, is really, really good. And I'll tell you a little bit about shopping, and then I'll tell you a little bit more about the kind of places that you could go. For those of you who like stylish designer shops, they abound, and there are just piles and piles of them. There are, there are probably three areas and a fourth coming that I would say that are worth looking at. And this is all on the Kualoon side and all within the walking distance of the Sheraton Hotel, although saying that, what I should have said earlier is that next to the Sheraton, you've got the Intercontinental. Next to the Sheraton, you've got the very upmarket Peninsula Hotel. You've got just hotels all around here, packed down this, this, this part of the, the island with the view. So in terms of shopping within walking distance of the major international hotels, you've got uh, the Duty Free Shop. Now, Duty Free Shop is a very large department store. And it has the most staggeringly beautiful cosmetics and perfume section. And that's just worth visiting just to see, even if you're not there to buy it. It's absolutely beautiful. It has all of the major prestige brands, the Dior's, the Chanel's, the Lancome's, some local brands. L'Oreal even has a, 
has a piece there but it's just the most beautifully laid out stunningly organized store then the rest of the of the duty free store which is called dfs has clothes etc etc prices are pretty good i'm not sure if it really is duty free but also just next to that on the canton road is the harbor city and ocean terminal shopping complex and pretty much if you go there you'll find everything that you want there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shops the great thing about it again it looks over the victoria harbor and the water taxis are nearby there and it's also near the bus terminal but you have everything from this very prestigious louis vuitton shops you have uh, chanel standalone shops you have aveda shops you have spas you have department stores you have sushi restaurants you have western restaurants you have chinese restaurants you've got cinemas you've got florists pretty much everything you want and it is really worth just going there and having a look around because you're probably going to get everything that you want and you know i'm just looking at the list of all the shops i mean i only walked around about half of it in about half a day a day and didn't even see any of everything that there was to see and so that's definitely two places to go the duty-free shop and there the third place to go is, I mentioned earlier, the Peninsula Hotel. That is, is a great place to go. They have the tea in the afternoon with little tiered cake stands and everything. But they have the Peninsula Arcade, and that's where all of the very upmarket things like Bulgari and stuff, they have smaller stores, but again, beautifully presented. Tiffany's in there, Bulgari's in there, Chanel's in there, Louis Vuitton's in there, Dior's in there, etc., etc., etc. But it's worth just going and having a walk around there. The hotel inside is very beautiful as well, and if you're really feeling like splashing out, you can also splash out on some afternoon tea with lots of clearly very well-to-do people. The other thing that's coming very soon to Hong Kong is Harvey Nichols, and that is going to be reopening. Harvey Nichols did open in Hong Kong before. It wasn't very successful, but now it's opening a much bigger store, and that is creating a lot of interest and excitement. What about sightseeing? What if you want to do sightseeing? Well, as I mentioned, there's not a lot of sightseeing to do, to be perfectly honest. And there are many organized tours, but most of them only take about four hours. And that includes quite a long slug of that, actually, for eating a lunch or whatever. So the two kind of main tours that you've got is either kind of what they call their sort of Hong Kong island orientation and there's many tour companies who do it the one which is um, operating out of the hotel is called Splendid Tours and Travels and they have their website which is splendidtours.com and they do uh, Hong Kong island orientation which takes you up to Victoria Peak which is beautiful if Hong Kong is clear and it's not too foggy and, and pollution-y but at Victoria Peak, you get a beautiful view. You get a panorama right across the harbour, Kowloon, and the nearby islands. It's really, really nice. That's worth doing. They then take you to a little fishing village, which is all right. They then take you to Repulse Bay Lookout, where you look into the South China Sea. And then they take you to Stanley Market, which is a little local market based to get you to buy stuff. They do that by night as well, which is pretty nice because actually there's so much lights and so much neon in Hong Kong it's it's pretty impressive and they sort of throw a meal in they do one of Kowloon and the New Territories which is about the same time now I haven't done that one but they take you to a Buddhist monastery um, they take you to a, a little walled village 
they show a little bit of the farmlands and take you to Wishing Tree, which is kind of a tourist trap, really, although it did have uh, some, some history. Again, you can do the, that, that kind of at night, but not a lot to do. And so really, probably one of the things you may want to do is the whole theme park thing. So you've got the new Disneyland, but you've also got Ocean Park. Now, Ocean Park, um, they like to build themselves as the most famous theme park in, park in Asia, although I guess Disneyland probably is. And they, that's where you get the panda habitat, where you meet Anan and Jaja. Is it Jaja or Gigi? I never remember how to pronounce it, which, of course, is very, very famous. They've got a shark aquarium. They've got a little ocean theater where they do the usual thing with dolphins and seals and sea lions and that kind of stuff. So there's Ocean Park. So those kind of really what to do. One of the best things, though, to do is to just enjoy the beautiful view, watching all the boats, because up and down this harbor, is you see ocean liners, you see containers going, you see water taxis. It's just all this kind of high activity and shop. Restaurants are pretty good too, all over the place. And so that's probably Hong Kong. I should probably tell you a little bit about the history of Hong Kong, which I will also do very, very briefly. I flew here to Hong Kong on Cathay Pacific. Now, it's the second time I've been on Cathay Pacific, and it, which is actually a Hong Kong-based airline. And I had never really been a big fan of Cathay Pacific. This time, I was lucky enough to actually be going first class, and they were much cheaper in first class than any competing airline. In fact, they were kind of the price of a club ticket on things like British Airways. And first class was fantastic, very similar to the British Airways first class, very similar kind of seats. And if you're a One World Alliance member, the great thing is you get your tier points and you also get your mileage points. Although, if you, like, often if you fly an airline which you're not the main card holder of, you know, like I'm mostly a British Airways one, I've got my tier points, which is important in terms of keeping your, your tiers and status up. You get air miles, but it's not quite the same as, as, as many as if you've flown on British Airways here. They give you a very nice Elemis um, kit, you know, the little kit, which is quite nice and quite upmarket with um, things like your lip balms and your survival creams and your mint shave gel and all that kind of stuff. The food was very good, but probably the most noticeable thing was uh, actually the very nice sleeper suit they gave you, which had a nice little Chinese collar and slippers, which was very nice. Instead of socks, they give you nice slippers, eye shades with a little adjustable thing at the back, so that was quite fun. Outstanding food. The lounge at Heathrow was also very nice, very stylish. The problem was it was a little bit too stylish and stark, so it was a little bit noisy with people on their phones and things. But I was very impressed with Cathay Pacific. I'm actually going to be flying Cathay Pacific from here on to Sydney for a, another work commitment, so we'll be interest, interested to see how, how that all goes. So let's talk a little bit about the history of Hong Kong and a little bit about Hong Kong. Hong Kong's very interesting because it's actually a special administrative region in the People's Republic of China, and that's really been something that's come into place in relatively recent times. It has a very liberal economy. It's a major international center of finance and trade. It was actually a British colony until very, very, very recently. And I'll talk a little bit about that. And part of the deal when the British handed it back to become a special administrative region of the People's Republic of China was that it would be a policy of one country and two systems. So Hong Kong 
actually is given a lot of autonomy. It has its own legal system, it has its own customs, immigration laws, etc. It has its own road rules. So it tends to be like, it tends to, from a road rule perspective, be like the UK and people drive on the, the left. But other things like diplomatic relations, national defense, etc., is part of Beijing now and driven by Beijing. Britain actually took over or ceded, whatever the right word is, Hong Kong after it was known as kind of the Opium Wars. It was leased to Britain for 99 years and that began in July 1898 and ended on the 30th of June 1997. And that's when it was handed back and it was a relatively kind of controversial piece of the time because the British government at the time, Chris Patton, wasn't that sensitive often at handling the Chinese. During the Second World War, it was actually occupied by the Japanese for three years and eight months, so quite a long time. And that was quite a tough, tough time. There was lots of tension, as I mentioned, but eventually it was handed back to the People's Republic of China on the 1st of July 1997. It's had relatively peaceful times, although there have been protest rallies, because there is concern that actually what's happening is over time it's becoming less and less liberal, and there's been changes of various uh, chief executives and that kind of stuff. The official language is English, so that's why it's quite popular for tourists, particularly from the US, UK, etc. And of course Chinese, both Cantonese and Mandarin. It is a small place, and it has about 7 million people, so that's why it's so busy and so frantic and whatnot. But it is pretty wealthy and pretty rich. Its currency is, is the Hong Kong dollar. Well, that's all for this week's episode of my travel reviews with Gary Bembridge about Hong Kong. Hope you found that helpful. Hope you found that interesting. Don't forget you can find links and things based on what I've spoken about on the blog, which is at mytravelreviews.blogspot.com. You can email me too. There's a link on the site there. It'd be great to hear from you. Next week's podcast will be coming from Sydney, Australia, and I will be heading off there tonight. So enjoy and hopefully see you soon. That was My Travel Reviews podcast with Gary Benbridge. The podcast of first-hand experience by and for people with a passion for travel.